Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from Idaho. His name is Yanni Gratzinopoulos. Yanni is a an award-winning Fortune 200 trainer and business coach. He has over 10,000 hours of consulting, so you know he's a master, training and coaching within both the nonprofit and business worlds. His main focus is facilitating successful organizational and leadership transformations. He has also led slash co-led multiple nonprofits and businesses, and his leadership roles have spanned from startups and churches to Fortune 200 businesses. His titles have included president, owner, senior pastor, director of operations, state training coordinator, performance coach, and many more. He is an or, is, he is an ordained pastor and holds a degree in church leadership with a minor in psychology. He's spent time traveling the country as a preacher and a keynote speaker for many years. He is married with a child and lives in Boise, Idaho, metropolitan area. He spends most of his time with his family and loves to be outdoors as much as he can. Yanni, welcome to the show. Lance, thank you for having me. And I got to tell you, you make my bio sound better than it is, I think. Oh, well, I did tweak it just a little bit. And well, I perfect. Put, perfect. I, You're hired. I, I always put my flavor on it, too. And you got to make sure you tell the audience, too, that I got your last name right before we hit record. Crushed it, everybody. <laughs> crushed it. It's a tough one, but I can do it. So, well, let's uh, before we get into exactly what you do, I always like to ask everybody, because this is a show built around entrepreneurs and business owners, and I'm always so curious, like, why are people entrepreneurs? I know why I am. I'm tired of kind of telling people why I am. So why are you an entrepreneur? Did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs? Was it the opposite? Like, what drove, drove you here? You know, it's interesting. It, it, it really, I did not grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I, although uh, I was kind of, quote unquote, taken in, adopted later in life by a family that owned their own business. Um, but I, I didn't get it at the time. Um, and like a lot of people who didn't get it, I read some kind of early entrepreneur books like rich dad, poor dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and I took a step back and was like, Oh, cool. All right. Maybe someday if I get a cool idea, I'll do that. Right. And I, I watched shark tank and, and you know, the, the typical American thing. Sure. What started me on this road was one word. And, and that was the desire for freedom. Mm. And when you look at antiquity, when you look at history for thousands of years, and actually even America up until, I want to say 50 years ago, everything was on the farm. Mm -hmm. In fact, suburbia, that only became a thing within the last couple decades. The farm was antiquities business of today, right? It was where you lived. It was how you produced your food. It was how you produced uh, anything financial. In fact, we today we call people landlords uh, from the uh, old English concept that someone, the landowner was the Lord. Yeah. And, and so this concept, when I realized that in America today, owning a business and in the world today, owning a business is yesterday's freedom. Mm. then I went, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I'm after freedom. I love that. 
that is one of the primary reasons uh, why I'm an entrepreneur too. I mean, freedom, that that's exactly where you kind of get the freedom at this point. I mean, you can do what you want within reason. I mean, we still have to please our clients and everything, right? Yeah. So, so you deal with a lot, you, you, you work with a, a lot of leaders. And so I would love to hear your perspective on some kind of, what are some mistakes that you see leaders making in today's business environment? And obviously it's changed drastically in the last two years. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and you know, Lance, not to jump out of here and, and, and be like, well, hey, let me disagree with you. I don't, I don't know that it has changed. The environment has changed. Yeah. I, I think what has happened is what was covering over the negative has been ripped off. The band-aid's gone, right? But, but the cold, because I know a lot of leaders who their organization, nonprofit, for-profit, doesn't matter. They're doing fabulous. And I'm not talking just Walmart and the people who do the, you know, masks and, and protective gloves and stuff. It, the, the businesses who, and, and the organizations that were leading well, most of them are doing well. Because they, it, you know, in 2008, 2009, when the economy downturned, you mm -hmm. watched Warren Buffett just buying like mad. Why? Because he's like, this is the time to buy. It's going to rebound. Yeah. Buy, buy, buy. The organizations that were strong before COVID <clears throat> hit, they looked and they're like, oh, let's start acquiring talent. We have the money. Let's get, let's get better people. This is the time to expand. And, to, and I say that to say, here's my answer to your question. One of the biggest mistakes that leaders make is they don't see opportunity. And, and where they don't see opportunity is in the decline, whether it's a decline within your own organization or decline outside. I, in fact, I know an organization that, uh, I mean, growing leaps and bounds, but their mainstay products started to dry up. Technology started to shift and they had a prime opportunity to take the lead with the new technology that was coming out. And they sat on it for a number of years. Now, if we look in the past, we know of a company that did that as well, Kodak. Kodak actually invented the digital camera. Yeah. Most people don't know that. They said, no, nah, no one's ever going to do this. We're going to stay with film. Mm -hmm. And so when you see a downturn in your industry or your organization, the first thing you need to do is take a step back and go, where's the opportunity in this? Because there's always opportunity in this. 100%. That's when people make their money. I, I preach that on our podcast all day long is if you are preparing for the worst, uh, capitalizing on the worst when the worst happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rebound because for it to not rebound would be against physics and the laws of nature, right? So uh, the, uh, excellent point. Um, but you have to be ready, Lance. Yeah. You, you have to get ready when things are good so that you can be one of the main players when they're not. Yeah. Are there any metrics that you like to look at when it comes to advising people about when, like, do you, do you have, do you have anything that you help people with as far as saying, I think a downturn is going to happen here or do you not go that far? I don't, I don't try and, and, and uh, project the future on the downturn. We just know it's going to happen, yeah. right? If you look back on history, you know, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. And maybe it's big, maybe it's small and maybe it's not the whole economy. Sometimes it may be your company or your industry or, or your location, right? Um, I, I, I mean, take somebody who's a franchise owner of a couple McDonald's and all of a sudden uh, they divert the main road 
to another place. Well, a McDon- every McDonald's is in a high traffic area. Why? Because that is part of their business plan. Sure. Well, that's not a downturn in the economy, but where's the opportunity in that? So what metrics, what metrics do I look at to really say, okay, business owner or leader, but nonprofit leader, you're in a position to, to take hold of the next downturn and, and, and do good with it. I, not just to make money, but to help people. Um, again, back in 2008, 2009, when nobody else was hiring, we were, and I turned to my admin one day and I said, do you know what we're doing? She said, training people. I said, no, we're keeping kids in school. (laughs) She's like, what, how are we doing that? I said, is there any other place where these people are going to find employment? She said, well, probably not. I said, that's right. And if we can train them to be successful, they're not going to have to sell their house and move in with grandma two states over. Their family's going to stay here. She got it, right? But what caused us and what causes an organization to be prime? Number one, turnover. You've got to look at turnover. High turnover companies. And look, I know the first thing somebody's going to say, I'm in a high turnover industry. Okay. But where do you rank in that high turnover industry? Mm-hmm. If your turnover is high, you're not primed for when trouble happens. You've built your house on shifting sand. Yeah. Be- because those people, they're not going to always be there. That pool of resources is not always going to be there. Number two, debt load. We choose debt like it's crazy in this country. There are times where an you need to take on a little bit of debt, maybe. But if you're if you live with this love of debt or hey, debt's just part of life, you're not ready when the next thing hits, whether you're big business or small business. And number three, and possibly the biggest, chatter. And what I mean by chatter is do your employees do this when they're at work? Do you walk through Uh, cubicles or get on zoom meetings and see happy birthday signs and balloons. If you don't have that environment, your organization isn't this. And if your organization isn't this, it will do this when the difficulty comes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, culture is huge. You really touched on a lot of good points there. Um, Let's get back to leaders specifically and maybe some, uh, a problem and maybe you could even give us an example of, uh, of somewhere you've seen and helped coached a leader that's been stuck on a problem. Uh, do you have any suggestions for how to get out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, here, look, we've all, we've all seen the TV show or the movie where the, you know, the police officer walks into an AA meeting and stands in the back and somebody stands up and goes, hi, my name is Yanni Gratzinopoulos and I'm an alcoholic. And, and, and why is that the typical thing? Because a, those who work in the addiction field know one thing you can't get help until you admit there's a problem. Yeah. Okay. Leader. That is you period. And, and, and this is what I cannot tell you how many I worked with a leader one time um, and who literally in the same breath told me that they knew what they were doing. If they don't fix their problem, they're going to, shut their business down in two months. Come on, leaders, you, you got to listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. What, every organization, big to small, has problems. Are you in touch with that? And, and here's a metric for that. 
if the people who report directly to you only tell you what's good about your organization, you're in trouble. You've created a blind spot. Mm-hmm. Whatever your level of leadership, the people who report directly to you should have a wonderful intermix of, hey, we crushed it here. We're struggling here. And then you've got to take a step back and say, okay, what is the problem? Where is the problem? And then look, no one to get help, right? Guys, I cannot do with, there's that crazy old adage. My husband never, ever, ever wants to get directions, right? And we laugh about it and they do sitcoms about it. The fact of the matter is sometimes you have to turn on your GPS and get directions. And, and, and really that's why folks like myself and Lance, like yourself in this podcast, that's why it's there because we've been there. We've walked through it. You know how to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Um, back to culture. You kind of touched on that a little bit too. And I think it's so important, you know, at, F, at all our companies, we try to foster exactly the kind, that kind of uh, culture that you're talking about. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's easy. Um, for the most part, it's easy at our place, but if let's say there's a leader, let, let's say there's, you have two new employees, for, for example, and maybe they're introverts and everybody else seems like an extrovert at your company. There's a lot of chatter going on, but these two people just, it is like pulling teeth trying to get them to engage. How, what, what suggestions would you have for a leader like me to try to change that part of the culture? Or, or do you just live with that and the diversity is okay? So this is where, this is where, culture gets really interesting, right? Because you mentioned the need for a level of diversity and there needs to be a level of diversity. Right. But, but to answer that question, I need to take a step back. What size are you and who are you? If you have a five person company, you can't have, you can have diversity in the people, but you can't have diversity in cultural fit, right? They can, your five people can be from all over the world, identify in however they want, but they all have to culturally connect, right? So if you've got four outgoing people and one person who just wants to sit by themselves, cultural disaster in a company of five. Your company's not big enough to handle that level of inner office diversity among how they connect. Hear what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're running a small team, same thing. You have to know who you are and the type of environment. And, and maybe the wrong, the, culturally is the wrong word. It's the environment. If you have a loud ruckusy environment on your team or your small business, don't hire somebody who's not that unless you're trying to start something new or shift the team a certain direction. Don't hire someone who's not fit for the environment, right? I, I take a step back and, and I look and I have no concept of how to run a steel uh, machine. I don't even know what they call, right? Raw steel comes in and then out comes giant steel beams. I don't know how to run that machine. I don't know anything about steel. I'm the wrong person for that environment right now, right? You've got to bring the right person into that environment. Okay. Now, when you're a bigger organization, then what do you do? Culture is not based around environment whether it's loud and chatterous or it's really quiet, culture is based around connection. And you need to have people within your organization that maybe it's not their sole focus, but one of their main focuses is bringing connection. 
building connection. In the nonprofit world, this is actually a prime focus. In fact, there are entire positions within nonprofit staff that are, will focus on connection management, right? And, and so when you bring a new person in, can they connect? By the way, some of the best friends on the planet are high introverts and high extroverts, right? I mean, just they marvel at each other and, and they'll sit and talk with each other and, and, and lead them through. If you can get someone to connect, then culturally they can connect into the environment. And, and it's really important. We make this mistake a lot. Environment, very different than cultural fit. Yeah. What if they, so what if they have hired that person, right? I mean, here's the thing. The tricky thing is, is even if you do two interviews, maybe you even go a third one, which is not really normal, right? I mean, yes, I, I've done the ones where there are two, it's maybe two because uh, some questions got missed in the first one. But let's say you go as far as you can possibly take it as an employer. And this person did a great job of seeming like an extrovert. They're bubbly in the interviews, but all of, all of a sudden they're in the, they're in the company and, and it's like shutdown mode. You, like, but and let's say that they're, they're performing well too. <clears throat> it's just that they're not engaging. I mean, is there anything you can do to turn that around or are you just kind of stuck with that for now? No, you know, so again, they, they signed on. So if I'm, and again, it, this really depends on the size of the team, but, but if, if I brought them on, I would probably circle back around and say, okay, you're doing a great job. Seems like maybe in terms of the environment, it's grading on you a little bit, <laughs> right? Everybody's loud, in your face, cubicles, right? This actually would be my wife. When you talk with my wife, she is what I call a social introvert. You think she is your best friend. She wants to hang out with you all the time. After three hours of being around any group, she needs a nap, right? Okay. She's done. Yeah. So, but again, what happens is, is people can culturally adapt to an environment when they're connected, right? And that's what that person is telling you. Engagement has nothing I shouldn't say has nothing. Engagement isn't about environment. We need all extroverts or all introverts. We need quiet or we need silent. Engagement is about connection. Connection brings culture. Culture is measured with chatter. Mm -hmm. And then all of those things being healthy will naturally matriculate into the right environment. Right now you can spur that environment along. But what, what's usually missing is not, I've got, I, I need to run more parties. Maybe parties are the answer, but not for in and of themselves. It's because the connection is missing. And as a leader, it's your job to get that connection moving, to train your sub leaders. Let's get that connection. Moving. Yeah. I think that, that, that was actually the point I was, I was hoping you would touch on is it's about training the sub leaders. You know, as a leader, you went out, you found the person to fill this role. Then I think it's like, but at a certain point, you know, the sub leaders, which I think we're going to kind of get into next leader versus manager here is it's really integral for them to make that connection. And whatever that is, that's, that kind of comes down to where your office is located or even if you're remote or whatever. So um, excellent. Let's touch on that leader versus manager. Um, some people get them confused. I don't, but uh, maybe people who are listening still are getting confused. What's the difference in your world between a leader and somebody who's a manager? Lance, you're 110% correct. They're very easy to get confused. 
it's very dangerous when you get them confused. Yeah. And and I, let's let's all jump on an airplane. That's how I'm going to describe it. Okay. We jump on an airplane. We're in row uh, 21C, row 21 seat C. And who's who's at the front of the plane? We call that the cockpit. And at the front of the plane is at least two pilots, maybe three, maybe four, depending on the size of the plane. Those pilots are the leaders. What does a pilot do? The pilot charts the course from point A to point B. It's the pilot's responsibility to get the entire machine and all the people there on time, happy, maybe a little earlier, safely, all the luggage, right? The pilot is charting the course. The pilot needs to know, hey, hold on, I'm going to course correct for everybody. We're about to hit turbulence. We're going to go up 5,000 feet, down 5,000 feet. You know, every once in a while, they tell you the Grand Canyon's on the right, but it's the pilot's job to lead that plane. The managers are the flight attendants. Now, for most people, they have a tough time envisioning this because they look at flight attendants as a restaurant server. But I, I could not disagree with that more, and here's why. You never hear of a pilot throwing someone off a plane. It's the flight attendant. In fact, not just in the U.S., but around the world, most in most aviation uh, organizations, the flight attendants are the one that have the power to throw people off the plane. The flight attendants are the one that check a manifest. The flight attendants are the one that welcome you in. In fact, the flight attendants have a lot of power on that plane. The, the pilots don't get involved in that, right? Yes, they serve, and it's their job to connect, but they're the ones that are managing, whether it's the uh, customers or the people on the plane or the members or whatever it is, that flight attendant, but they're not middle management because every plane has a head flight attendant. And whether you have two total flight attendants or sometimes 15 or 20, it's, it is literally about that. That head flight attendant is middle management. Now, this is really interesting. They're leading what's happening in the back of the plane. By the way, the pilots don't want to hear from all 15 flight attendants. They want to hear from that one leader. Right. So yeah. this person is the go between to the leadership. And here's what I want to say. Look at the airline industry. You have a bad flight. Rarely it's because of the pilot, if ever. Usually it's because you, you gripe about something that the flight attendant did or didn't do. Of course. Okay. Here's what's interesting. You'll give an airline once, maybe twice. The third or fourth time, you will swear off that airline and fly with one of the competitors. What's interesting is who's responsible for that. Yes, it's every flight attendant, but it's that head flight attendant. And in your organization, if you're big enough, middle management is what's going to make or break your success and your growth. If you're stuck, especially when you're over 50 employees, maybe 40 employees, your revenue's hitting in the millions, and, and all of a sudden you hit this ceiling, you probably hired middle management that did not continue the environment and the culture and the personality of what you built. You haven't trained them well, and they're not delivering on your promise. Because if they were, you would be developing repeat happy customers who would be evangelizing for you. Yeah, yeah, excellent points. Uh, so sometimes I think our companies end up running us. You know, I, I know I've been guilty of that, maybe just for taking on too much work and not knowing my limitations. And then, and then finally learning limitations and kind of getting back control of it. 
There's other instances though. Maybe you could speak about them. Um, if a leader does feel like their organization's running them um, more than the other way around where they're running, they're, they're running it. What are some tips you have for them? So understand how you got there and how you got there is you devalued the word no. Oh yeah. That, it's, it's like devaluing the dollar, right? All, every business owner, we get it as an entrepreneur. If the dollar's devalued or the yen or the euro, wherever you are, you're going to have less purchasing power with the dollars and money that you make. When you devalue your no, your yes has less purchasing power. And you're like, Yanni, this isn't finance. This is, this is what, and what does this have to do with yes and no? Look at how we talk about finance. We spend and we budget. You know what's interesting? What do we do with time? What do I ask people? Hey, how'd you spend your weekend? How did you spend your weekend? Which means you also have to budget time like you spend it, but we don't. And so we devalue our no and we go, oh yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. You're, you, and again, back to debt. Now we go into time debt and now we're racing around to try and do that. You're on the path and the road to burnout. And now your company is running you. You have to start with properly valuating your no. Because every time you say no, you free up a yes, right? Lance, this comes full circle. This comes full circle in the conversation. How do you prepare for a downturn? You are in a place of financial strength and buying power when the downturn comes. How do you get control over your company running you? You are in a place of strength and power to step up and go, whoa, we're going nine directions all at once. Hold on. I'm going to say no to a couple of things. Yeah, that was, that was wonderful. And we are running up on the half hour here. So that I'm glad we did hit the full circle kind of at this point. That was really beautiful. Uh, one question, one other question I'd like to ask everybody too, Yanni, is uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to when you first started what you do, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Understand, either get a good lawyer <laughs> or, or understand the nitty gritty sooner. Uh-huh. That's most, most owners, what surprises them is the stuff they didn't know. Yeah. I, I haven't heard anybody say that they should get a good lawyer first, but I, but I appreciate that. So, cause what I'm hoping is that like everybody listens to, I think we're at like, I don't know, 200 episodes of at least this, this version of this show and they compile them all. And they're like, oh man, those are the 200 best pieces of advice I've ever heard. Yours is added to it a hundred percent. So if, if Yanni, before we sign off here, if people like what they heard from you today, how can they find, follow you, get in touch with you and maybe get in contact with you for some of your services? Yeah, no, Lance, thank you. So our website is grotzllc.com. G-R-A-T-S-L-L-C.com. You'll know it's the right one because if you click about leadership, you see this mug. Um, now, it's dedicated primarily, almost exclusively, to the nonprofit work that we do. Um, we're pretty exclusive about doing this type of coaching and training in the business world. Uh, we, we, we try and give back, and, and that's where we have our focus. It's why we do things like podcasts like this where Hey, let's, let's give, let's give the knowledge that we have. That's really the best place though, to learn more about me. Uh, my, 
Although if you put it together, that name at the bottom, Yanni at GrazLLC.com. Yes, that is my email. Um, and on the website is an entire section of just free training, videos, written material, a ton more on this type of stuff. Um, and usually we say, hey, if you find value in that or have found value in this, we can help. Let us help. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today. Enjoy beautiful uh, Idaho up there. And uh, hope we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Lance. Bye, everybody.